Wake up, America, before it's too late. The Steve Day Show. Greetings. Happy Monday. Welcome to the Steve Day Show here live and on demand on Blaze TV, radio and podcast. Steve Dace here alongside Todd Erzin, Aaron McIntyre, and all of you coming up on the show today, the bottom of the hour. We'll be joined by our good friend Bob Vanderplotz from The Family Leader. We are under 100 days now to the Iowa caucuses when the first official votes in the 2024 presidential election will be cast. Candidates were here over the weekend uh, making some news, and uh, we'll get Bob's read on where he thinks the race is uh, coming up here at the bottom of the hour. And the next hour, we will turn it over to you for an Ask Me Anything. For the first time ever, we're going to let our Twitter followers, at Steve Day Show, our Twitter followers are going to ask the questions this week. Uh, you guys know the drill. Todd selects the questions. I have not seen any of them in advance. And then Aaron, uh, he will spring them on me in real time, and you'll get my off-the-cuff instant reactions and answers coming up here live on the program in the next hour. But before we get to all of that, let us begin, as we always do, with Aaron's rundown of what happened while we were away. What happened while we were away brought to you by Israel's 9-11. The nation of Israel suffered a brutal surprise attack on Saturday as members of the terrorist organization Hamas overwhelmed the unsuspecting Israelis. Hamas launched a ground, sea, and air attack from various locations in the Gaza Strip. One of the first targets of the terrorist organization was a concert for peace where hundreds of young people gathered. Hamas terrorists shot and murdered over 200 of them and took even more as hostages. Hamas also hit several towns near the border of the Gaza Strip, going from house to house, executing men and taking women and children hostage. Videos circulated online showing Hamas terrorists back in Gaza with their hostages, parading them naked through the streets. Before and during the surprise attack, Hamas launched an innumerable amount of rockets into Israel, apparently overwhelming Israel's vaunted Iron Dome defense system. Videos also show Hamas using drones to target ambulances and other soft civilian targets. At least 700 are dead, with thousands injured and hundreds more taken hostage. At least nine Americans are dead with more feared captive. On Sunday and into Monday, Israel began retaliatory strikes against Hamas in Gaza, downing several civilian buildings and mosques used by the terrorists for cover for their activities. The Biden White House condemned Hamas's attack and incursion into Israel in between barbecues yesterday. Secretary of State Antony Blinken initially denied knowing whether Iran had anything to do with the attacks, but on Sunday conceded to MSNBC that they were likely behind them and the recently unfrozen money that the U.S. sent to them didn't help. What do you say about the argument that money is fungible? So Iran may have known this money is coming and used other funds to help fund this attack that happened. Iran has, ha, Iran has unfortunately always used and focused its funds on supporting terrorism, on supporting groups like, uh, like Hamas, uh, and it's done that when there have been sanctions, it's done that when there haven't been sanctions, and it's always prioritized that. On Sunday, numerous pro-Hamas rallies broke out all over the Western world. Alu Akbar was heard on the streets of Washington, D.C., New York City, Tampa, Florida, San Francisco, California, and numerous other locations celebrating the murder, rape, and kidnapping of innocent civilians. MSNBC spent the day on Saturday running cover for the terrorists, which is about the most on-brand thing for them to do. Boy, they wish that those same Israelis who were out there protesting the so-called judicial reforms would be protesting Israel's inhumane treatment of the uh, Palestinians who live under Israeli occupation. But that's 
just not something that's happening. The fact that Israel is an occupying power, the fact that Israel has violated international law and Palestinian rights, you spend taxpayer money on buying Israel defense systems and trying those defense systems on Palestinians. Earth, you've got 2.2 million people crowded into 141 square miles, so they automatically become the victims of Israeli airstrikes because it's so crowded, because it's so densely populated. Florida governor and GOP presidential hopeful Ron DeSantis on the campaign trail in Iowa had these comments about the terror attacks. I, I just think we all must say as Americans and as Christians that on today, more than ever, we stand with the state of Israel and the people of Israel in what may be their darkest hour. And you're going to hear in the media and some of our elites, you're going to hear equivocation about this in the coming days. They're going to try to act like Israel is to blame for this. They're going to try to say Israel is occupying territory. Let me tell you, places like Judea and Samaria, those are the most historic biblical Jewish lands. It's not occupied territory. It's disputed territory. So don't let that cloud your judgment. Understand that what happened yesterday and continues is evil, and they have a right to defend themselves and their people, and we will stand with them when they do. And that's what happened while we were away. Aaron's montage is brought to you by our friends over at Patriot Mobile. They are America's last remaining American mobile phone company, and they want to make it possible for you to take part in the parallel economy with a product that all of us need nowadays uh, to function in modern society. That's a mobile phone. But to do it with a company that doesn't directly uh, hate us and won't directly fund our enemies. And that's what they provide you on top of great service. For example, at any time you need to switch when you're a client of Patriot Mobiles, you may switch to any of the three major networks out there via their network for free without any additional cost. They've got an outstanding U.S. base. See that as you can understand them, uh, customer service team. They've got ways of saying thank you. If you're a veteran or first responder and you want to make the switch, let them know in advance to say thank you for your service. And for the rest of us, if you want to make the switch today, like my family did, just use the offer code Steve to get a free activation when you make the switch today by going to patriotmobile.com slash Steve. That's patriotmobile.com slash Steve, or you can call 972-PATRIOT. That's 972-PATRIOT. Coming up in today's overtime, maybe the ultimate final confirmation that we are living through the death of the West. In the last 15 years, birth rates across the board in the U.S. are down 23%. A society that no longer looks to replenish itself, repopulate itself, really has given up on itself. And we will discuss that today in the overtime. For Blaze TV subscribers, we will record it right after today's show at blazetv.com slash dace. That's also where you can go uh, to become a Blaze TV subscriber so you can watch that and all the exclusive uh, content that we provide for you daily here on Blaze TV at blazetv.com slash dace. So let us begin. Uh, an old friend of the show, best-selling author Joel C. Rosenberg, posted this on his All Israel. He lives in Jerusalem, by the way, now, uh, on his AllIsrael.com website, and he pointed out that with the Israeli death toll now oh, well over 800, if you prorated that with pot, the population difference between Israel and the United States. 
you would you would be looking at over 25,000 dead Americans in 72 hours. 25,000, not 2,500. Yeah, yes, 25,000. Which, yeah. and remember, on 9-11, that was like 3,000 yeah, plus. Yeah, so we're talking more than eight times the yes. amount of people killed on 9-11. Yeah. More than eight times. If we prorated that for the difference in population between them and us. And he shared his personal thoughts, and I'm just going to actually read this to you. Moments ago, the Israeli government confirmed that more than 800 Israeli civilians have been killed by Hamas terrorists since they launched this war at 6.30 on Saturday morning. At the same time, more than 2,200 Israelis have been wounded, many of them seriously. So, I mean, if, if we prorated this to over 25,000 dead Americans, given the population difference, um, I mean, now we are at, what, more than, we're about two and a half times more people wounded. So we'd be over 50, 60,000 wounded if this had happened on our soil at this scale. Each of these deaths and injuries uh, are absolutely horrific for the individuals involved and their families and friends. But the, the scale of the disaster is having a profound emotional impact on Israeli society as a whole. Don't get me wrong. Israelis are resilient. We have been through war and terror for more than 75 years. And by the grace of God, we will recover and prevail over our enemies. But I want, help, I want to help you understand the magnitude of what we are facing. Israel is a small country of just under 10 million people. And it feels like a small town where everybody knows everybody. We're basically talking about a landmass here about the size of New Hampshire, I think it is. And when bad news happens in one part of the country, we feel it in every other part of the country. When we hear of someone dying in an accident or isolated terror attack, we quickly ch check to see if we know that person or their community of family and friends. And we pray for them and grieve for them and thank and think, but for the grace of God, that could have been us. It, it's different than living in the United States. America is a vast continental country, has a population of around 330 million. That means the U.S. population is 33 times larger than Israel. So any individual death in this city or that or this country is, is, is it, or state is terrible in the U.S., but it doesn't necessarily affect, necessarily affect the rest of the country emotionally. It takes mass casualty attacks in the U.S. to make big headlines. But this is like what happened on September 11th. That day, nearly 3,000 Americans were murdered. By Al-Qaeda terrorists, that day air traffic stopped, the world seemed to stop, everyone was watching TV, calling friends, checking on loved ones, sheltering in place, praying for God's mercy, and that is what's happening here right now. Saturday, October 7th was Israel's 9-11, Israel's Pearl Harbor. It was an attack so brutal, so bloody, and so unexpected that the entire nation is in shock. We are grieving and we are angry. Our government failed to protect us. We'll find out why later, and believe me, we will demand honest answers. Right now, though, the entire country is on war footing. We are at war, and the days ahead look very dark, at least for a long stretch. The scale of the emotional impact that we're facing here is that we know the death toll is only going to climb, especially if we have to go to a full-scale ground war in the Gaza Strip. Plus, we know that the media and the international community will turn against us. They will make it seem like this is all our fault, not that of Hamas. 
They will try to cheapen the death of Jewish souls. But I ask every Christian in the U.S. and Canada and around the world to stand with us and to pray for us without ceasing. This is the biggest war Israel has faced in a generation. And we need you with us. For those of you that follow such things and, you know, over the years on this show, we have had a bit of a complicated relationship with these kinds of matters whenever they have come up and been addressed. But for those of you that follow these kinds of things, we are, we are looking at something right now that has never happened before. We have the United States of America engaged in a full-fledged, hot proxy war with Russia. And now we will have Israel declaring war yesterday, the first time Israel has declared war in 50 years. Israel is now engaged in a full-fledged, hot war with a proxy of Iran. This has never happened before. Not even during the Cold War. Yeah, we, we funded some of the Afghani resistance, which frankly helped give birth to Osama bin Laden. We funded some of the Afghani resistance against Russia. But it wasn't anything near to the scale. What we were funding against the Soviet Union in Afghanistan, what we have done, a hundred billion and counting in a hot proxy war against Russia and Putin. And at the time that the Soviets invaded Afghanistan, the Shah was still in power in Iran. Now he was about to be displaced by the Ayatollahs. So this has never happened before. Never. The United States is now fully engaged in a hot proxy war with Russia via Ukraine and Israel is now fully engaged in a hot proxy war with Iran via Hamas, its longtime benefactor. So, make of that what you will. We've heard a lot in our country for decades about the Mossad and the vaunted Israeli Defense Force and intelligence, that they always are in Ezekiel standing, uh, you know, on the wall, watchmen on the wall, ready at a moment's notice, given the history here. And I know a lot of you probably don't know this history. You don't know that there's no such place as Palestine and there's no such people as the Palestinian people. This is not a thousands years old argument. And, um, and I think that's why the distinction that, uh, that Ron DeSantis drew in your clip there, Aaron, is very important. The, the Palestinian people, as we know them today, are largely a 20th century, a latter half of the 20th century creation. Peoples largely kicked out of other Arab countries that tried to modernize like Jordan. But, but they're not, this isn't the carryover of thousands of years ago. They're, these aren't the Hittites, the Canaanites, the Jebusites. The people that originally were in the land there before God, according to the biblical narrative, God sent the Jewish people, the Semites, sent them into 
what became known as the Promised Land to essentially evict those cultures for their idolatry and replace them. Those cultures are gone. They are they are lost to history. In fact, it really was well into the early 20th century before a science that became very modernized during that era known as archaeology, that a lot of people actually that were skeptics of the biblical narrative actually used that to try and debunk the Bible. Well, there's no evidence that there were any Hittites. There was no evidence that, that there was any Jebusites, any Canaanites, that any of these people ever lived. In fact, there was one very famous figure in the latter half of the, of the 19th century that used to travel the country and speak in front of huge audiences on, doing a, a, on tour, doing a talk that was known, quote, as the mistake of Moses, claiming that there's no scientific evidence that these peoples lived in this country uh, known as Israel thousands of years ago. And so therefore there was never a Moses and there was never a Pentateuch. So the biblical history is wrong, and therefore, if the biblical history is wrong, then you don't really need to trust any of the rest of the biblical narrative when it comes to morality or truth or anything else, right? Mm-hmm. It can't get its basic, if it can't get its own narrative right, its basic facts right, then it's really not to be relied upon for ethics or anything else. Then along came a science called archaeology, and now nobody, nobody does this anymore. No one makes these claims anymore. They lie in other ways now. They lie in other ways. We, we made them, archaeology made them lie, and the Dead Sea Scrolls, which came later, about a decade or two later, uh, made these kinds of people lie, uh, like John Dominic Crossan. You see him on all these shows. You know who that is, because yes. he's from your tribe, but we have him too. Uh, they make these people all lie in different ways than they were lying in the, the 20th and, or the first half of the 20th and the 18th and 19th century. So this is, this is, this is not, they have no claim on this land. That doesn't mean they're not made in the image of God. That doesn't mean there won't be innocent people living in the Gaza Strip now um, in Hamas-occupied territory that will be caught in the crosshair, and that's sad. But there is no historical claim to this land. They don't have one. It's a made-up it's a made up, it's a made up uh, culture. It's a made-up fallacy. It's just not true. It's not any more true than masks will stop an airborne contagion from spreading. It's not any more true than that. But a lot of that history is unknown by the American people and most people because we've spent more than a generation dumbing you down. And maybe something else you don't know is that the scriptures do not say blessed are the peace lovers. That's not what the scriptures say. You know, this goes back to the conversation we had. Was it just last week? The pro-life conversation we had looking at RFK Jr., Trump, and DeSantis. I think it was just last Monday, actually. I think so. And it's kind of ironic timing for RFK Jr. because he is announcing his independent bid for president today. And And right away, the very thing that we thought was the biggest challenge to him as a candidate is going to be right at the forefront. He has been a, for decades, a vocal and prophetic prophetic advocate against Forever War Inc. and the military-industrial complex. None of us dispute that. The question, though, does, is he a peacenik, though? Does he understand that there is, to everything, there is a time and a season? And I guess now we're going to get the answer to that question pretty soon, as a matter of fact, right? Yeah. Yeah. 
Now, the Bible says, Jesus says, actually, blessed are the peacemakers. And, and to put that into context, the same Christ who, who's God incarnate, um, the, who proclaims this, also says, do not think I came to bring peace, but a sword. Actually gave his disciples swords when he sent them out to evangelize so they could defend themselves. Um, the God of the Bible is neither a peacenik, nor is he for forever war ink. Because to everything there is a time and a season, even for war and peace. The problem is we as, we as humans, we don't know what those signs of the times are and how to rightly divide them and interpret them. That's what that means. Without rightly dividing and interpreting the word of God, we don't know the answer. There are a lot of questions being asked about the, the failure of that uh, aforementioned vaunted Israeli intelligence. And I think those are questions that, as, as you just heard from Joel Rosenberg, what I read, demand answers once the clear and present danger of the imminent threat is defeated and dispatched. But sometimes I think we have to recognize... A simple yet profound truth. There is a Satan. And there is evil in the world. And in this era of human expertise. Where we have put ourselves in the judgment seat. And believe that we are the people we've been waiting for. That we've cracked the code. We have all the answers. We put too much trust in human ingenuity. That's why in the past I've not been willing to adopt a lot of quote-unquote conspiracy theories because I think they put too much reliance on human ingenuity and interaction. And I don't have that level of faith in human nature. Now, Going back to what I said previously about the times in which we live and two potentially prophetic moments happening right now that have never happened ever before in human history. That exact same eschatological viewpoint does say there will come a day when maybe it appears as if human enterprises are behaving with this level of sinister planning, but they're not the ones actually doing the planning. They're the mere instruments. Because we come to the end of the age and we give rise to a singular figure who has been orchestrating these matters behind the scenes and manipulating them for years to get to such a culminating point. For decades, Israel has attempted, largely with our encouragement and in accordance with demands of the rest of the world to, to give away land for peace. And this weekend we learn ultimately a house divided against itself cannot stand. It will need to do something that our modern sensibilities are just not used to being confronted with to win this. We're, we're used to shock and awe. 
you know, Iraqi soldiers surrender in, in, in a week and in, in, in Operation Iraqi Freedom. We're, we're used to, well, a war in Ukraine that has gone on for two years, and yet over this weekend, you saw more footage out of Israel than you have seen for two years out of Ukraine. Isn't that something to mark, by the way? Indeed. And so there's this idea that this stuff is kind of played like a video game. And war is still hell. Technology be damned. The level of violence the Israelis will have to engage in here in order to win this. We're talking literally an invasion of an enemy state right on its doorstep. House to house, building to building, rooting out this element. Well, that's unless it wants to just, you know, allow something like this again to happen to it at any moment in the future. Will require a level of violence that, frankly, in our modern sensibilities, think we've evolved beyond. We think we are more evolved than the God of the Bible who once said to the Jewish people, go in to this land, remove every living thing. You are my eviction notice. This is judgment against them, and you are my instrument therein. I've even seen some people on our side claiming that this would be genocide. I believe the Iranians knew this, which is exactly why they are prompting this action. This is an attempt... And by the way, to Secretary Blinken, if you are going to acknowledge on national television, as you did in Aaron's montage, that the Iranians have been spending billions of dollars on terrorism forever, then why give them any money at all, sir? You gave a, you gave, you gave a junkie money, and then he died of a fentanyl overdose, and your response is, well, we, that's all they do is spend their money on fentanyl. Well, then why would you give them any money at all if you knew that? That's the excuse. Well, they always, everybody knows they spend their money on, on terrorism. Then why did we give them $6 billion then, sir? I'll just close with this. We're, we're, in, a, we're in a lot of trouble. Iran knows what Israel will have to do now. And I believe it wants it to do it. And I believe Israel has no choice but to do it. But this is an attempt now with a feeble-minded president, a nation in decline, talking about us now, everybody, the entire culture turning on itself. This is an attempt to destabilize that region and try to come up with some form of Islamic esprit de corps so they can parade around the alleged Israeli atrocities against the innocents of Gaza. Basically, what I'm saying is, Iran launched the largest suicide bombing mission in the history of Islamic terrorism. They are knowingly going to allow a lot of people of Gaza to be killed, and probably much of Hamas to be extinguished, in order as essentially just human shields, suicide bombers. 
to further the other overall Islamist agenda. This is just the same thing as putting vests on 13-year-olds and telling them to walk minefields. And when you step on one, you'll be initiated by Allah into paradise with 40 vestal virgins. This is, the, this is that same ideology, but on a grander macro scale. We are in a lot of trouble. Every seed that had been sown was watered and fertilized beginning with March 16th, 2020. We had problems with election fraud before COVID, it exploded. We had problems with an open border before COVID, it exploded. We had problems with um, debt and phony money before COVID, it exploded. We had problems with crime before COVID, it exploded. Everything just harvested with that event. And it also ushered in the people in power to either be the useful idiots of these moments or the actual architects herein. And I will, I will tell you, I, I think it is possible we may never fully recover. We are in the undiscovered country now. And events are unfolding that once initiated will be very difficult to thwart the momentum of such. Pray. We are at a tipping point in America. With 400,000 children in the U.S. foster care system and a quarter of those awaiting a forever family, Christians must step up. This is Jack Graham, senior pastor at Prestonwood Baptist Church, inviting you to Chosen, a summit addressing these urgent needs on Saturday, April 13th. Chosen will empower churches to begin foster care and adoption ministries and equip families who are adopting or fostering. We have great speakers joining me, including Sadie Robertson-Huff and Governor Greg Abbott of the great state of Texas, along with dozens of breakout sessions. I urge you to join us and help make a difference in the lives of these precious children. Register at Prestonwood.org chosen. All right, folks, let's cut to the chase here. There's red flags in just about every direction right now. We're seeing turbo cancers, miscarriages, blood, co- blood clots, myocarditis. It's pretty clear something is up in the mainstream media won't ever say it. So let's talk about the elephant in the room. The question that Dr. Peter McCullough and his team at the Wellness Company get every day, how do I get this out of my body? This being the spiked protein, it's the lingering threat from both the virus and the vaccine linked to all kinds of long-term health issues that we're just now learning about in real time. And that's why we don't even yet have a full picture of the extent of the damage this spike protein is causing, but we still have a responsibility to act. So whether you took the jab, dealt with COVID, or you're seeing and eyeing the research around vaccine, shedding spike protein is a big deal in the worst way. 
So Q spike support formula. That's a game changing supplement designed to dissolve COVID spike protein in your bloodstream. People from all walks, vaxxed or not, have found better mental clarity, increased energy with the spike support formula. And you owe it to yourself to take back control of your health. So go to TWC. That's the wellness company. TWC, the wellness company. TWC.health slash Steve and use the code Steve at checkout for 10% off. That's again, TWC.health slash Steve. Code Steve at checkout for 10% off. And if you saw Dr. McCullough on our show last week, and hopefully you did, and answering those questions, you definitely want to check it out. TWC.health slash Steve. Use the code Steve at checkout for 10% off. Let's bring in our good friend Bob Vanderplotz from The Family Leader. Good to see you, brother. How are you? Doing really well. I just want to give you guys encouragement. Uh, as I travel around the country, more and more people come up to me from the audience and say, I watch you every Monday on Steve Dace's show. And they talk about Steve. They talk about Todd. They talk about Aaron. And I was just in Atlanta, Georgia. And you guys have got a lot of fans in Atlanta, Georgia. So kudos, congrats. And they give me kudos and congrats for trying to dial it back every now and then. <laughs> and I don't know why that would be, but uh, I'm glad I didn't do my job. Well, let's dial it up. All right, dial we? it up. Let's. Okay, we are less. Ne- we are now under 100 days until the Iowa caucuses. Both Trump and DeSantis were here in town this weekend. I think Vivek was here last week as well, doing some events. And I don't know. There's various media reports about what happened with those events. So I, I, I don't know you whether. Bet. What, what occurred there or not, who knows. But just give our audience kind of an assessment of where things are with under 100 days to go. What do you see? Well, it's a question we get asked a lot. And I don't want to sound like a broken record, but I, I believe Iowa's wide open. Uh, the CBS poll that you and I talked about not that long ago, Steve, where it showed 20% of the Iowa caucus goers were definitely in for Trump. Uh, I happen to believe that number. It might be 20 to 25 percent, but I believe that is the right number. And 31 percent saying they're never going to vote Trump in the Iowa caucuses. I happen to believe that's the right number as well. So what that leaves then is that other 49, 50 percent in regards to where are they going to move? And so I think the opportunity is there for Ron DeSantis to coalesce people around him. I think Iowa is tailor-made to upend a Donald Trump here in the Iowa caucuses. And quite frankly, I expect that to happen. Now, Nikki Haley's making a push. You just mentioned Vivek. Tim Scott was in our offices last week as well. But I think you're starting to see it narrow at least to four that are vying to be the alternative to Trump uh, versus more than four at this point. So then what do you what do you anticipate being seminal events? I think seminal. First of all, the the two debates that we had, I thought, are uh, very good indicators so far. Uh, I think the the second debate and I tweeted that I thought DeSantis was a clear winner. He was the the adult in the room. Uh, I don't think it helps out Tim Scott or Nikki Haley when they get into a South Carolina spat. And then Vivek took a lot of incoming fire. And then you still had Pence and you had Bergam and that, but primarily it was it was those four. So I think the November eight event, the debate, I believe that's going to be a, a key debate as well. But in then, Miami, uh, in Miami, and then November seventeen, November seventeen, uh, we'll have qualifying candidates sitting around a Thanksgiving table at our Thanksgiving family forum to have a discussion about the future of the country and what makes them the best prepared to be the leader at this time. 
This is not a this is not a debate. You don't get to talk bad about other candidates or about the former president or current president. This is all about you. It's all about the future of America and what makes you best prepared to lead at this point. This is the form that Rick Santorum would credit that he was at five percent in the polls and ended up winning the Iowa caucuses. Uh, Ted Cruz told me it was probably the most crucial and pivotal pivotal form for him in the 2015-2016 election to win the Iowa caucuses. So I think this form that's coming up on November 17, you have to qualify to get in. You have at least 4% in the Iowa poll or national poll or both in order to participate. But I think you're going to see where the evangelical community is going to move. And that's obviously a key indicator who's going to do well in the caucuses. What's the energy level on the ground? Because I, I, I know I've asked you this before, yeah. and it's the, it's the smallest, it's the least I've ever seen, but, you know, I, I followed what Governor DeSantis did over the weekend fairly closely in Iowa, and, I mean, he had some, you know, I mean, he had overflow crowds pretty much everywhere he went. Yeah. So, you know, I, I'm a bad one to ask about that, and the reason I'm a bad one to ask is I don't go to other events unless they're ours, and I've been traveling a lot, and so therefore I don't get to see the energy on the ground. That said, I do look at pictures. I saw DeSantis's events. They're very well attended, uh, standing room only. Uh, Nikki Haley had standing room only up in Sioux City, Iowa. I saw a picture of that and a report on that as well. Vivek had a huge event this past weekend. Uh, I've heard kind of mixed messages about that event, but he had a huge event. I, so are, is there an interest? I think there's definitely an interest. Uh, does it get ramped up after Thanksgiving? That's what I'm hoping will happen. What will make that happen? I think it's got to be the candidate themselves. And the candidate themselves saying, you know, as a matter of fact, what's happening in Israel right now, I think, again, people look at, you know, where's the American leadership here? Uh, DeSantis comes out very, very strong. Nikki Haley, very, very strong. Biden, very weak when it comes to what's our relationship with the nation of Israel. You have Trump coming out saying uh, Hamas never would have done what they did if I was president. Basically saying leadership matters. But there are indicators in, you know, uh, whether it's this woke agenda. We just talked about I was with Riley Gaines uh, in Atlanta, Georgia. Uh, Got to hear her story. Got to hear her speak on it. More and more people hear the nonsense that's going on and the threat to the way they live their life or the way they get to raise their kids uh, or just the international threat as it relates to the uh, nation of Israel. I think those are all things that ramp up a campaign about we need to choose the right leader and a leader that will win. What about the governor? So I would have predicted heading into this process, I didn't think she would expend any political capital on it at all. Now I will be mildly surprised if she does not. I mean, I've, you know, you've, you're a little bit older than me, but I've, I've been around every caucus cycle since 1996, and we've never had a statewide elected official whose opinion... I think was relevant to the grassroots. In fact, on in other races I was a part of, I would have enjoyed if our candidate was endorsed by one of the Republican senators or <laughs> would governors. Would have been a good sign for your guy. Yeah, yeah. Right? That, yeah. That's clearly not the guys. Those are clearly not the people we want. But this is the first time, at least since that era, that so the era that I've been a part of, where a statewide Republican official has legit cachet with the conservative grassroots that dominates the a caucus cycle and i do think if she were to choose to exercise that it would it would it would be impactful somewhere between impactful to determinative i think yeah. where where between that i don't know but somewhere it would be no, i don't i know it wouldn't be nothing 
Okay. So I think it would be somewhere between impactful to determinative. What do you think? Well, I think you're right on all counts. Uh, going into this thing, I thought Governor Reynolds would definitely stay out. She would just be a welcoming face and voice for all the candidates coming into Iowa. Uh, that said, I know Governor Reynolds very well. She's very, very, very competitive. Uh, she's the most well-liked governor in my lifetime, especially with our base. They absolutely adore her, and they trust her voice implicitly. So if she does weigh in, and now I, I'm kind of with you, Steve, I think she will weigh in. I don't know when she'll weigh in, but I do believe she will weigh in. And I think whoever gets her endorsement, that is a, that's, that is a big, big deal. As a matter of fact, my guess is the reason she would endorse would be to say Iowa needs to deliver an alternative to Trump. I think you and I and Aaron and Todd all know I don't think she's endorsing Trump. But then two is uh, a coalescing needs to begin. And the reason I'm willing to stick my neck out is because I think we need to start narrowing the field. We need to start coalescing so there can be a realistic alternative to Trump. Otherwise, you're going to get the Cruz, Rubio, Kasich effect. You're divided and you're and Trump's going to win by the power of division. OK, well, let me put this on you then, because. Okay. You'll obviously endorse at some point. And you have said from the very beginning that, you know, your big thing is a candidate that you think can defeat Trump for the nomination. Right. All right. So when, when you endorse, which I would presume will be probably after your form at some point. OK. You get a call on the other candidates that you did not endorse to say, hey, you can't you're not going to be the one to draw that critical mass. You have to go. I've been very I mean, there was a there was a poll from WPA intelligence that came out this weekend uh, looking at the looking at the factors of what happens if you had if if you did have a true one on one race, and it pretty much had it a, a flip of a coin between Trump and DeSantis in the early states if we were to actually have that. Mm -hmm. So would that be part of your message? Hey, you've got to go. Like what? Like what's Mike Pence still doing here? It, it won't be just part of my message, Steve. But this will be an ongoing piece of my message. Oh, okay. Every time I have met with these candidates, Tim Scott was in these offices. Um, last week. And I liked him, Scott. I liked him for a long time. Sat down and said, now listen, if you're not the guy, I mean, if this time is not your time, then we need you to do the adult thing and to get out of the race and to coalesce. If you want an alternative Trump and any candidate that is running, I don't care who you are, or what your name is, any candidate that is running with a former president in the race who says that they they believe Donald Trump should be president, then why are they running? They, they shouldn't be running at this point. So the big thing would be narrow the field so you can get to what Steve's talked about, a one-on-one. -on -one. That said, the accounting teacher in me says, if 20% of the Iowa caucus scores are voting Trump, 31% aren't voting Trump, and you have this middle 49% that says I'm open, a candidate, whether it's DeSantis or Nikki Haley or Tim Scott or whoever it is, if they can coalesce the support win the Iowa caucuses, I think they can make that decision. I don't think you need to narrow the field completely to win the Iowa caucuses. I think you, uh, the field should narrow. But I think there's a candidate out there that can coalesce enough voters to beat Trump, even in this type of a field right now. How, how is it that we've had two debates and no one has dropped out? It, it, or is self-awareness in America just completely and totally dead? Well, I, Every, everybody won. Everybody yeah. did great. Everybody's still justified being in the race. Nobody thinks that, you know, well, they're well, embarrassing first, themselves out there. Well, first of all, the ones who have not made the debate stage, uh, whether that's Ryan Binkley, 
or Governor Hutchison or whoever it is. Quite frankly, I don't even know who Ryan Binkley yeah, is. Never right. heard that name in my life. But what I'm saying is that, and that's to my point. Yeah, they don't have enough support to really impact or influence the race right now. Anyhow, as long as you're making the debate stage, whether you're Vice President Pence or Governor Burgum or whatever, you're saying at least I can get my message out. I think the stakes go higher for the third debate in regards to who can make the debate stage. And I'm not sure everybody's going to make that debate stage. My guess they'll probably be four or five are going to be on that debate stage with Trump being one of them, but he won't participate. The same way with our forum. You have to be at 4% in the polls. The real clear politics average right now. If, if we held that forum today, mm-hmm. we'd invite Trump. We'd invite DeSantis, Nikki Haley, Vivek, and Tim Scott. But Pence right now doesn't make that that threshold because the real clear politics I'm more interested already is below is below four percent. So what I'm saying is that if you don't make a debate stage, if you don't make the Thanksgiving family forum, yeah, there's got to be a real conversation that you have at this point. Mm-hmm. However, all that said, and I like a lot of these people. But you look back at 2016, it was not the Mike Huckabees and the Rick Santorums that needed to drop out of the race because they're getting one percent in the Iowa caucuses, right? Mm-hmm. It was the Marco Rubios. You know, it was Ted Cruz and Marco Rubio to basically say, we need to make an adult decision here, but one of us needs to back the other one, and we need to move forward in this deal. And I think in this case, you're seeing Ron DeSantis, Nikki Haley, Tim Scott, Vivek. Those all have some real percentage numbers with them. Final thing, I got about, uh, about a minute and a half. Assess for me on the ground where you think the Trump campaign is organizationally compared to 2016. I think it's almost a mirror of it. And when I say a mirror of it, I think they're relying a lot on Trump and his personality. Uh, I do not see a lot of built-in organization for him at all. Uh, Now, will they ramp that up? I just haven't seen it. Uh, I told a person in Georgia where they're asking me the same question you just asked me. I think Ron DeSantis, what I see of his organization, uh, he's ahead of Ted Cruz at this point of the campaign, meaning he's he's very well organized. Does that mean it delivers the caucus win? I don't know, but he's got a lot of organization there. He still needs to do a lot for the candidate. I think Nikki, she's beefing up in Iowa. just read that in an article as well, and she's organizing more and more. So I do look at who are the people. And, and Nikki just brought on Governor Reynolds' 2018 campaign chair, and I believe it was Grassley's 20-whatever camp, 2022 campaign chair. So these are people at least who know Iowa. Right. Because you have to look at who are the names. Do they know Iowa? Do they need do they know how to turn out votes? And in a caucus, you've got to be willing to go spend two hours with your neighbors and then vote on who you believe is best. It's not like going to a primary. You vote at the post office and you head home. That's not the way this works. Hmm. Are you excited? You know, I'm trying to manage momentum. (laughs) I'm trying to manage excitement. I am excited. And the reason I'm excited is I believe Iowa is going to deliver what I think Iowa is going to deliver. I think they're going to deliver an alternative to Trump. And then the country can decide, do you want the alternative to Trump or do you want Donald Trump? But that's what Iowa's role is. Iowa's role is not say, boy, we just picked the winner who's going to be the nominee. It's going to be give America a choice. And I think we're going to be able to deliver that. Okay. Thank you, Bob. Thank you. You bet. Always appreciate it. You guys have any reaction to what Bob and I were just discussing here in the last minute? Well, one of the upcoming questions from somebody is a resentment that Iowa has that much uh, power 
to do that at all. The other one about why people won't get out of the race, you know, I think a lot of it has to do with the terrible quality of the debates by Fox so far. I mean, it gives them an out, somebody to blame. I mean, if it was abundantly clear that Fox was running something that is genuinely, like your organization is, or Iowa is, a real winnowing fork, then I think some of them would be shamed out of it. But until then, they'll just blame others. Real quick, Todd, the other reason why candidates do not get out of a race is because all of the consultants and all the staff telling them you need to stay in. And you need to stay in why? Because I keep needing to have a paycheck. You that's need to just, keep yeah, that's me. disqualifying yeah. on its face. Yeah. Well, that, that's I think, what I'm telling you, that's you've very, never, very true. I, you know, and that is something, until I got involved in this process on the inside, I did not understand the industrial aspect of this. People just running to promote a brand, people running to promote a company, uh, people bringing people in so that they can, ha- they can have a job during the cycle. There's, that's a big part of this, actually, and it blew my mind. I didn't understand that before I got into this process. And, and 2008 changed things, meaning it changed things when Huckabee won the Iowa caucuses, lost the nomination, but then guys don't show on Fox. There you go. All right, hour two is next. All right, back here with Hour 2, live and on demand on Blaze TV, radio, and podcast. Steve Dace here alongside Todders and Aaron McIntyre and all of you. And all of you can let us know at some point in time, though hopefully not all at once, what you think about what we think via the SteveDace.com inbox, which you can take advantage of by emailing the show, Steve at SteveDace.com. That's D-E-A-C-E. Like us on Facebook, me, we, and Gab. You can follow me at Steve Dace Show on Twitter, Gitter, Instagram, and TikTok. And you can also find me on Truth Social as well, at Real Steve Dace there, at Real Steve Dace on Truth Social. And for those of you that listen to the podcast, you are so appreciated because you're a big part about our paychecks and why we continue to receive them. So please, if you wouldn't mind, leave us a five-star review if you like us, of course, um, and hit subscribe or in the case of iTunes, follow to make sure that every new episode we do ends up in your feed every single time that we do one. And thank you to all of you that have done those things for us already. This part of the show brought to you by my underwear, which is made by our friends over at Tommy John, which they think they know this time of year should be about picking apples, not wedgies. All right, Tommy John's got the absolute most comfortable underwear, uh, breathable, lightweight, moisture-wicking fabric with four times the stretch of competing brands. Keeps you comfortable no matter what the season throws at you. I can't give a better compliment to a client than when they let me try it for free. I loved it so much, I've gone back and purchased it out of my own pocket over and over and over again. They're the most comfortable boxer briefs ever. No downside, and I just like the boxer briefs, but I mean, you can get whatever form of underwear you want, uh, but they're just, they're just awesome, man. That's why they don't have customers. They have fanatics. Right now, if you've yet to try it, get 20% off your first order right now when you go to TommyJohn.com slash Steve. That's 20% off at TommyJohn.com slash Steve. 20% off at TommyJohn.com slash Steve. All right, let's get to it. It is time to ask me anything. And for the first time ever, I believe, we are letting the Twitter following ask the questions. Now, why haven't we done this before? Uh, It's because Twitter already gets buy, sell, or hold, and I thought it would be kind of unfair to let them double dip for many, many years. But 
you know, we've seen a ton of growth in our Twitter account. So I thought it was time to go ahead and give them a chance to ask me anything. So Todd, you've curated the questions. I have. I'd say a healthy portion of them uh, were pertaining to what happened in Israel. Some I think you addressed. Some are still hanging out there. So if we still have time at the end, I can just throw you some uh, of that. A lot of them have to do, uh, as you probably can imagine, with end times implications. Okay. So I guess we'll find out because I've not seen any of these, but thank you for the heads up. All right. Aaron, you have the questions? Let's we'll go. We'll begin with this uh, very serious one. Paul Seller says, how do you feel about men who let their women drive when they are in the car? I, I let my wife drive all the time. I don't have a, it's, you know, when I'm in her car, I let her drive her car. I don't. Really? Yeah. When I'm wow. in her car, I let her drive her car. Yeah, it's her car. I'm not going to move the seats in the mirror. She's like six inches shorter than me. Yeah, I'm not going to yeah. move the seats and everything for her. And then every time that has to get done every time, it's just a hassle. Yeah, I don't. I'm comfortable enough in my masculinity that that means nothing to me. Nothing. It's her car. So when I'm in her car, I let her drive it. I'm glad you pivoted to comfortable enough in your masculinity at the end there, because I was going to. Well, I was going to say something. Uh, next. <laughs> but you saved yourself. Bob Backbetter says, I am a non-denominational Christian evangelical. I'm praying about starting a men's Bible study at my home using a verse-by-verse -verse study series by the late Chuck Missler. I hesitate because I'm painfully aware of my own incurably wicked heart. Don't know if I'm qualified. The last two sentences of your tweet are exactly why you should do it. The fact you, that you admit that. Yes, you're expressing a level of humility there. I mean, I, here, here's the... All right, uh, let me do it this way. A, uh, I, I got a text from a friend of mine who got up and walked out of church service this week because of who the guest speaker was. And he asked me afterwards if I thought he made the right choice. And I said, sure. You know, and, and he, then he wanted to know, you know, if I would have done the same thing. And I said, probably not. Well, then why did I think he made the right choice if I wouldn't have done the same thing? what are the reasons you got up and walked out? And he explained his reasons. And the person who was the guest speaker at this church is a very mixed legacy. It's a name a lot of people would know. And this person has a very mixed legacy of ups and downs. And are the downs part of his legacy? Did those things actually occur? Sure. Well, some of them did. Some of the things he was accused of later, he was found to be not guilty of. But yeah, some of the things that he was involved in are part of his legacy. And if you want to get up and walk out for those reasons, then it's a little bit like when I say, um, if you don't want to support a political candidate because of something they have actually done or said that you think is unworthy of support, if it's, if, if it's really something they've done and, or said, have you ever seen, in, in, in all the years you either listened or been a part of this show. Have you ever seen me argue against that person one time ever? No. Yeah. If, 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 if you have a legit reason why and that stuff actually occurred, that's that person's record. And they have to own that. Okay. And so therefore, you want to hold them. That's your way of holding them accountable for it. I don't want to vote for that person because they said or did blank. Did they say and do blank? And was it bad? 
then that's a them problem, not a you problem. Likewise, this speaker at church's record was, it has, it's mixed. And so the bad is much of it anyway, is part of his record. And so if you got up and walked out and just said, you know, I don't want, I don't want to, I don't want to be at church this morning with a guy that's, that's been a part of blank speaking, I don't fault you. So then why didn't I get up and walk out? Because I actually wanted to see what he was going to say. And if I make, now there's clearly exceptions, right? Like if, if you have, if, if there are clearly things you do to do, you can do to disqualify yourself from occupying a pulpit. Word of God's very clear on that, right? Yes. Okay. Short of that, then to me, it's about the message, not the messenger. Why? Because name me a messenger that doesn't have a mixed legacy. And I'll wait. Anybody Googling? Messengers with perfect legacies. Google that. I'm waiting for you to answer. Nothing came up? Did not. No, no messengers with perfect legacies, right? No. Nothing. Huh. So if, if, because if. Uh, <laughs> oh, wait, I'm looking now. The students and faculty at the campus of Harvard say Hamas. Other than that. <laughs> yeah, no. I hear yeah. you. I hear you. Um, I saw on Twitter today and I shared it. Somebody pointed out in 10 years, those, all those Harvard students are going to be running corporations. Yeah. And when your Alexa picks you up for saying that training ideology is, is terrible. Th- I mean, they'll have you, you know, your utilities and stuff shut off. Mm-hmm. They're right about that. But back to the, the point we're discussing here, everybody has a mixed legacy. That's human nature. We, we name our children after King David. <laughs> that was a pretty mixed legacy. The only human being ever that didn't have a mixed legacy was the one human being who wasn't fully, uh, well, he was fully human, wasn't exclusively human, is how I should put it. Fully God and fully man. That's the only human being that's ever lived that did not have a mixed legacy. But he was not exclusively or only human. The rest of us have a mixed legacy. I have said things, done things that on this show that... If, if I was invited to speak at your church and got up to, uh, to address the pulpit, you would be justified in getting up and walking out. And that's just the things you know. There's things about me you don't know that I'm not proud of and ashamed of, so I hope you don't. And we all are in that camp, correct? Sure. So everyone has a mixed legacy. Everyone does. So how does that pertain to this? You have a mixed legacy. It's called being human. So do you have the humility to acknowledge this? That's why I wouldn't have walked out. I would have wanted to hear, what did this guy say? Is he going to acknowledge his mixed legacy? Because if he could, that could be very powerful. Mm-hmm. Or is, is it going to be clear by the end of it that this is a, a, an attempt to gloss over all of those things? Well, then I'd have a problem with it, right? And it's... Unfortunate either way, if that was not made clear to you, if he is controversial and obviously so, mm-hmm. if it's just like, here he is, or who, that's problematic. I mean, there should be a, mm-hmm. 
welcoming mat for why we're doing this. That mm-hmm. should be at least clear. But you're not qualified to do it, brother. Because nobody truly is. God does not call the qualified. He qualifies those whom he has called. So it's precisely because you are that aware, because you are, you are the man at the temple that Christ told the parable about, beating his fist against his chest, saying, Father, have mercy on me, for I am a sinner. It is pre- precisely because you have that level of humility. Now, I say that not knowing you, okay? So like if you've got kitty porn on your computer or something like that, then obviously this is, that would be one of those things that's an automatic disqualifier, all right? But if we're talking... What, what you are, what you just laid out is the default setting for the human heart. No, you're not qualified. That's why there's a realistic chance that the Holy Spirit can actually speak through you to those people, and it won't be you speaking but him. Keep that humility. I would say just be prepared. Less, it's less a qualif- problem that you aren't qualified than once you bring in a dozen other souls that are similarly situated and you go crashing into scripture and scripture goes crashing into you like be prepared for what that i know that the feeling it's it's a positive thing for people to get together and break bread and get into scripture but it's not always clean and easy It, it could be messy for any number of reasons some that i think the three of us could help you expect and some of them we'd have no idea why because we don't know the dozen people in that room so just be prepared next up we go to jacob kwasney although it might be politically smart do you think there is a downside to busing illegal aliens to democratic cities are we not just moving them further into the mainland making it easier for them to stay here illegally yeah yes yeah. You're not even accounting for the ones that may or may not be terrorists. Yes. Yeah. The answer to that is yes. But, but, but here's the thing, though. Um, it also forced this. It, yeah. it, you now have the mayor and governor of New York forced to discuss this Agreed. in ways they never did before. Totally. So your point is correct. It is correct. But the political impact of this act has to be acknowledged as well. Not to mention... Um, there were already all kinds of illegals for decades already making their way all throughout in yes. unvetted and everything else for decades. Yeah. Let's not act as if this is the first time illegal immig- aliens have come across unvetted illegal aliens have come across the border. And, and so therefore we're taking a risk by putting them further inland. This has been going on for decades. And so by, so actually transporting them in this case, now, would, would I rather we just deport them and make an example? Well, I said that at the time. Yes. Okay. But 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 the idea that this is a relatively new security risk is not true. That security risk existed for decades. This act actually finally brought some attention to it. Yeah, and I don't. I want to say this, and I don't want to sound nihilistic. I just think it's important to remember we are witnessing the collapse, or we have been collapsed here in Western civilization. So, if you're asking the question. Is there a downside to fill in the blank? More often than not, unfortunately, the answer is probably going to be yes. 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 Yeah. I mean, yeah. there's no good options often. Right. Is there perfect options? I should say. Is there yeah. was there a downside to God sending plagues upon Egypt? Yeah. yeah but, you know, um, in a fallen world, the idea that you're going to be able to accomplish anything righteous without any downside, it's just. It's just not true. 
The question is, is, the, is the, the question then becomes, the calculus becomes, does the juice, is the juice worth the squeeze? Have we exceeded the, great, the grief to profit ratio? Is, is, the, is the cost, or as you put it, the downside, does it undermine the overall integrity of the testimony that is being displayed here? Um, the, the narrative that is yeah. being communicated here. But the idea that there will be no downsides, that, that's just not happening east of Eden, folks. Not happening. You're describing in any and in, in, yeah. in any situation that's not happening. You're describing just war theory in yeah. essence, and we should be applying that to this border because it is very much an invading army of just military age males coming across. So yeah. A little bit of, of breaking news. Multiple outlets are reporting that Hamas has said that they will execute hostages for every attack on Gaza that results in civilian casualties. Uh, Joe Biden called a lid for the day about an hour ago. So there you go. Uh, that's. Nobody says you've mentioned Francis Schaefer on your show. Of all the influences upon your life, how significant of a role has his books played in your worldview? And number two, how have they directly impacted the direction of your show? Says they're an everyday listener. Keep up the good work. So I didn't know who he was because I didn't grow up in a Christian home. So I'd never heard the name in my life. And I just began um, after my when I first started speaking out and doing public speaking. Uh, about my faith, I had a pastor say, wow, this you, you remind me a lot of Francis Schaeffer. I know it was, so I had to go back and look it up. And um, um, has definitely been influential. Um, maybe not as influential as you might think. I'm, I mean, I'm only familiar with two of his works, The Christian Manifesto and Your God is Too Small. Um, but I, he gets, he, I cite him frequently because, I mean, he was ahead of his time. The, the issues that, that, that he was speaking to in the 70s and the 80s are exactly what we are undergoing right now. He was ahead of his time. But uh, yeah, I, I didn't know who he was until several years into my own conversion. I you know, found found out when people were telling me my message compared to him. I'm like, well, who this, who's this guy? And I realized, yeah, this guy's already been saying all the same things, you know, decades before I got converted. So. I think this is an interesting question from Joshua. The culture war is important as it's reflective of our nation's health and direction. So why are conservatives so historically weak on both creating culture shaping art and promoting it? Where are the thriving Christian fantasy science fiction publishers giving a competing view? So I, I think that this is probably, it's, it is a, it's a very fascinating question. I, and I think it is um, inherent in what it means to be a conservative. That you're conserving things. Okay. And in past eras, Christianity were inspiration was the was the core driving creative inspiration of many of these things music, arts, um, painting, um, name it. 
It was the it was the driving influence of those things. It inspired those things. And and so sort of and and this was at the at the re the 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 this essentially the renaissance small r of western civilization i've talked about this before the catholic church essentially created western civilization then we went through the dark ages and came out of the dark ages and basically the protestant reformation resurrected it and so during these two periods of time that western civilization was ascendant it was responsible for terraforming culture and pop culture as we would call it today, but you know, they would know that term and centuries ago, but that's essentially what we're talking about. It was responsible for terraforming both culture and pop culture. And maybe there's a term you've heard Christendom. It's kind of what we're talking about here. That's kind of the, the cultural manifestation of these things as in, in one sort of ad hoc, all encompassing term. Well, you know, this is not unique. When, once you become the, um, once you go from being ascendant or on the ascent to ascendant, then it becomes about conserving those things, maintaining those things, passing them on. And even in the sports world, right? We don't have perpetual dynasties in the sports world. Teams go up, they come down. Teams are hungry to get to the to the mountaintop to win a championship. Maybe they can stay hungry with for one more year with the same cadre of players. But then eventually you've had so much success. Everybody has their own agenda and it's about conserving and preserving what you already have. That's what makes a, a figure such a like a Michael Jordan so utterly unique. All right. To maintain that drive for well over a decade, LeBron James said to reinvent himself with multiple different franchises in order to maintain that. You know, uh, Kobe Bryant, what I put in the Jordan category, able to maintain that within the largely the same franchise structure throughout the, 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 the bulk of a career. It's hard to stay that level of cutting edge and hungry once you, once you are now the mainstream, once you've arrived. Most of the time in human nature, we have ebbs and flows. And so for the last century or so, with limited exception, you know, like the two British guys, Lewis and Tolkien, with, with those exceptions for the last century or so, we have in the West, within Christianity, largely coasted off the fumes of what trailblazers before us actually did. And, you know, and a, and a lot of times those things that we, we, we are seeking to conserve, I, I think of the second greatest nonfiction selling book of all time, John Bunyan's Pilgrim's Progress, that was written over the course of many years on the walls of a prison cell. That a lot of times, you know, the, the culture or in, even the pop culture that we are trying to conserve was not done within the, within the realm of the glamorous. It just became so once it became the accepted mainstream. And so, you know, we're like a lot of other sporting franchises or historic dynasties. We get lazy, basically. And, and, and this is also where, you know, I've talked before about the difference between um, tradition and nostalgia. And I think this is a very important distinction. Tra- tradition is an, is an, is an inspiration, 
tradition is an acknowledgement of, of, of the laws of nature and nature's God, fundamentals, first things that predate history or are or the creator ordained into the creation. And therefore, when we lose our way, tradition provides us a path to return back to the narrow road because those fundamentals never went away. They were just lost. You think of the, the story of um, the last great revival of the Jewish people uh, before, the, before Nebuchadnezzar and the Diaspora, and it's under King Josiah. Well, how did that begin? Well, there's a priest named Hilkiah, and one day he is cleaning out the temple of the Lord. And it says in, it says in the scriptures that within that temple were idols to all kinds of pagan religions. Were they supposed to put idols no. to other religions in the temple? No, not. no. And so, you know, Hilkiah is, you know, dusting off the starry host altar over here and the, the, you know, the Asherah pole over there. And in this corner, it's like the, you know, it's like the, the, the warehouse where the Ark of the Covenant and Raiders of the Lost Ark was left basically. <laughs> okay. In this corner, so it's like dusty scroll and he goes over there, whoo, blows up the system and opens it up. And, you know, there's some rabbinic traditions that say it's the book of Deuteronomy. The Bible doesn't say that. It just says it's the law. It's the book of the law. And he opens it up and he's like, oh, bleep. Kind of like the Jewish version of, you know, we, f- we forgot about this, basically. And takes it to this young King Josiah and says, uh, we are in trouble. Because it says right here in the word, man. I've set before you blessing and cursing, life and death. Choose life so that you and your descendants may live in the land. We're on the wrong side of history here. And this inspires Josiah, who leads the last great rebellion before Nebuchadnezzar's judgment. And, and he goes even, he, he's, he's the one that actually goes up to the high places and tears down the Asherah poles, the great sexual idol of the people at that time. There, there were other kings that would cleanse the temple and restore proper order, but they didn't, they, you know, they were more your lessers of two evils Republicans. So they didn't want to go up to the high places and get in the, the people in the way of, of, of getting their jollies off at the Asherah pole. So they would just kind of look the other way. That was the red light district, kind of the acceptable level of sin. Josiah went up there and he, he tore them down. Uh, he desecrated them. And when you live in that, the kind of era that we are in now, that's the kind of leader that you're looking for. Is that good? I want to continue this conversation if we can a little bit as well. So, okay. you know, where are the thriving Christian fantasy science fiction publishers uh, culture war is important. Why aren't there conservatives uh, creating culture shaping art and promoting it? I've seen this notion bandied about a little bit uh, in the past in various in various ways. Do you think there's any credence to the notion that somewhere along the way, uh, the American right or conservatism or the church itself eschewed high culture and romanticized kind of the stereotype of the ugly American. Do you think there's any credence to that notion? Yes. Because I think when you abandon high culture, you also abandon pop culture. Where are the, um, where are the uh, orchestra professionals? Where are the violinists? Where are the, um, yeah, uh, just, where are those for Trump, you know? Where are the classical artists for Trump? And he was like, well, there's no classical artists for Biden group. Yes, there is. It's called Juilliard. 
Yeah. Um, it's called all of the classical it's called artists. All basically. of the classical yes. artists. Yeah. Um, I think there is, in, and this is actually theological disagreements notwithstanding. Catholics have a point here, and I'm going to get killed for this. When you walk into a Catholic cathedral or basilica, at least I am, I'm struck with awe and wonderment because that's what it was supposed to do. Everything is created. Every, every detail in those classical basilicas and cathedrals were done with some sort of meaning or allegory yeah. to point you back towards God. I'm struck with awe. And Catholics will say, well, yeah, you don't see that in Protestant churches. It's the Protestants who messed this up. Anyway, your thoughts on those those kind of well, I'm glad you reset this because it reminded me I left a dangling participle out there. That's tradition. What what nostalgia does is it says nostalgia says we have to do things have to look exactly the way they looked before and be done, it has to be done through the exact same kinds of people. Nostalgia says, well, nothing good comes from Nazareth. Nostalgia is paralyzing. Nostalgia means if it doesn't look this way, then and within a comfort level, a cultural, a conforming level of comfort culturally for me, then then clearly it cannot be righteous. And, and, and by the way, that plays into what you're describing. Because the idea that um, everything has to be convenient, everything has to be immediately accessible, everything has to be done and, and dumbed down so the average person gets it. I'm never doing that with this show. I mean, I... We're never doing that. I'll, I'll make it as accessible as possible. We will explain ourselves as we go along the way because we're, we're reintroducing truths that have largely been lost in this era, but we're never going to talk to you like your children. We're never going to assume we can't rise above our own base natures. And that's kind of high culture versus what you're describing. Yes. Yeah. I was Absolutely. Gonna, I was going to step in and make much the same point, Aaron, and I hope you're not beat up for it because of the simple truth of that. The, the Catholic Church was the vanguard of the arts, just like it was the vanguard of education, just like it was the vanguard of mes medicine, just like it was the vanguard of everything uh, back then. Now... Its sin was overindulging in those things, gluttony, basically, in a lot of ways. And it, the, 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 then the Protestant church very much stripped things down. And along the, way of, uh, along the lines of the artistic conversation we're having, its sin has been sloth. It, it, it has not aspired to use those gifts and talents, the Imago Dei, to that extent in many ways, shape, and form. And Steve alluded to that and how we got soft. Well, the, 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 the Protestants, Protestant church's inclination was to strip everything down, and it went too far. The Catholic church, in terms of the arts, sometimes went too far. Amen. I think that was a very important conversation we just yep. had. Yep. We'll come back. More of your questions. Really good questions so far. Stay tuned. All right, back here on the Steve Day Show. And Aaron, I just realized. Did you delete your email? I did. I can't believe I did that. I got it. it. I, just oh, got got it. Okay. I just got it back. Except now everything, my computer is operating very, very slowly, of course. Of course. Now it's telling me I have nothing in there. All right. This is going great. We'll do it live. This is, um, this is going great. Can you do my Patriot Supply from memory? I got it. Yes. Okay. Can you do yep. it smoked? <laughs> yes! 
Yes. I need to call them this afternoon. Hey, do any of your uh, 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 food supply products uh, come smoked? Last night at family dinner, my mom brought that up. <laughs> what is this thing with asking, can it be smoked? <laughs> uh, speaking of... She did. She brought that up at family dinner last night. It cracked me up. Uh, Deb, Deb wants to know, are you ever going to have your mom on? She's my hero. We did have her on several years ago. Uh, that interview might be in there somewhere, Aaron, if we looked for it. I thought we recorded something with her several years ago. We did, actually. Yeah. It was actually just... It was, two, it, for, it was for a pro-life event, yeah, actually. Yeah, two, three, four years ago, something yeah. like that. So this part of the show brought to you by My Patriot Supply. Uh, if you... Boy, howdy, especially with what's in the news right now. Just be ready, man. Okay? Just be ready. 25% off their three-month emergency food kits. That's 2,000-plus calories a day. Breakfast, lunch, dinner. Also drinks and snacks. So the full complement of nutrition you need. They've got well over a dozen different types of meals inside, so you can mix and match for variety. Stays good for up to 25 years with proper storage. And you get free shipping on top of the 25% off. So would we, how'd we, would we start the top of the show with here? First time ever. If you're following such things, if you believe in such things, first time ever that the United States is involved in a hot proxy war with Russia via Ukraine. And now Israel is involved in a hot proxy war with Iran via Hamas. So just be ready. Go to preparewithdace.com to make sure you are. Preparewithdace.com. Preparewithdace.com. It is better to be prepared and not need it than to not be prepared when you do. Preparewithdace.com. 25% off and free shipping of the three-month emergency food kit at preparewithdace.com. All right, let's get back to Ask Me Anything. Caffeinated Texan is next, who asks, why should Texans' tax money pay for primaries when the candidate is chosen by Iowans, New Hampshireites, and South Carolinians every election? Shouldn't all Americans have an equal right to participate in elections they pay for? Um, So is he saying, what's the point of us having a primary when this process is already determined by the time we go, basically? Yeah. Okay. Well... You know, if, if you have your state go on, I mean, I don't know when your state goes this next cycle. I've not even looked at the calendar beyond Iowa, New Hampshire, and South Carolina. But, I mean, we won on the Cruz campaign. We won Iowa and then didn't win again until Super Tuesday. We won Texas and Oklahoma. And those two states were still very um, impactful because they provided us the, the runway to stay in the race longer. You know, so that sounds like something you need to take up with your with your Texas Republican Party about why don't we move our primary up? You know, but I mean, if you're going on Super Tuesday, you're absolutely heavily involved in who the nominee is going to be for sure. This one is from the Sojourner who has this. When considering to relocate my family because Michigan is becoming untenable, I'm using the following criteria. Am I missing anything? Political representation, local, state, and federal, church membership, abortion laws, Second Amendment laws, protection, crime rate, vaccine noncompliance, marijuana laws. You smell it everywhere in Michigan, and I hate it. Economic opportunities, tax codes, property laws, state currency adoption. Protection from the green agenda laws, climate and weather, water rights, 
Uh, more details on his family. Myself, uh, 55 years old with 10 to 15 years to retirement. My wife, who currently is a stay-at-home mom who spends most time looking after ill and aging family members and a high school senior who will likely stay with us through trade school at a minimum, although it would be nice to buy a big enough piece of property for him to build and start a family. I don't know, man. I think that's a pretty good pretty list. comprehensive. Yeah. yeah. Dude, man, you're like my idol. You put a lot of thought into that. A lot. Oh, I thought there was a lot of wisdom there. I would be, I would be fascinated to see a a, a uh, uh, better living, you know, scorecard based off of that criteria. I think that's pretty good. Maybe call it Liberty I Living. Uh, there we go, a Liberty Living scorecard. Now that, and that's your criteria. What he just laid out there, right there. That's, that's good stuff. Good criteria. It's a. Now, you got to do a little research. It's a snapshot. You also have to look at trend lines. Are they moving in a positive direction? Because two states might have the almost the exact same scorecard, but one is getting worse and one is getting better. Yep. And then sustainability. Yep. What's going on? Like, for example, in our own state, look, the, the amount has done unexpectedly that we, Steve will tell you over and over again, I echo, we could not have guessed Kim Reynolds was going to be Kim Reynolds. That, not principle just in and of herself, but she she brings people to the cause. She ins- both inspires people, and we learned with the last couple sessions, she'll say, um, you either do it my way or you can get the hell out of here. She makes things like that happen. Now, how long is she going to be here? What's What happens afterwards? To the extent you can find stuff like that out, find it out. Some of it's impossible. We don't even have the answers to some of that in Iowa. But all I'm saying is I wish I could say, like, Iowa was, like, rock solid to look the way Iowa does in five years from now. We know that's not true. I think that's an excellent point. And you could look at states like Florida and Iowa. They would score probably really high on this right now overall. But are they one of when your career started, when was Iowa? Exactly. Exactly. I mean, then you start asking yourself – where would where where to move to then or are you willing to move i mean just ask yourself where would i to move more than once where would iowa be if if terry branstead was our governor oh not anywhere where we are i know yeah and that was the republican choice yeah yeah over and over and over again yep Next, we go to uncooperative at best, who says, what do you think Zelensky is going to do to regain his prima donna status on the world stage? I saw a meme today with Indiana Jones, the opening scene of Raiders, where he's doing this. Okay, about how to replace yeah. the, 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 one, the, the bag of rocks or sand yeah, yeah. where the idol was so yeah. that the trap doesn't get you know sprung. Okay, And it's the flag of Ukraine with the Israeli flag. Okay. And um, I thought that was pretty smart social commentary. Yeah. Um, and, and I think this this question speaks to that truth. Yeah. I mean, I, I would imagine right now over in Kiev, they are not happy. They are. They just they I think they're about to they're they're learning. He never marries you. This is the foreign policy equivalent of he never leaves his wife for you. He never marries you. So, yeah, he's he's the side chick now. He's he's not um, you know, he's he's not going to be Now, we'll see how long this lasts. 
I, I right now there's a lot of I mean even the NFL put out a statement today condemning Hamas. Yeah. Okay, a stronger statement than the elements of the federal government. Yes, yeah, ain't that the truth? So we'll see how long this goes. Right, let's go back to what I said at the top of the show to truly extinguish this is going to take a level of violence that we just aren't accustomed to seeing in in our current age. So we'll see how much stomach everybody has for that. Okay. And that uh, for that could put for Mr. Zelensky, that could mean that meets back on the menu here in, in as soon as like 30 days. Because again, have you not seen more from the war between Israel and Hamas that's really just getting started? Have you not seen more from that the last 48 hours than you have seen from Ukraine the last 24 months? And the answer to that question is yeah. And one of the chilling questions or responses to that, I should say, what you just pointed out, Steve, is that a lot of that is because in one circumstance, the enemy wants you to see everything because they're putting out the video. They're recording it themselves. And in another case, the ally doesn't want you to see what's going on. It's more a tailored show. Yep. Next, we go to Brian Prince. I'm going to change this question, alter this question a little bit. Who do you like more, Lindsey Graham or Mike Pence? Lindsey Graham. That says so much. I have no, so, I have, if I have, that's I have, not a punchline that we do on there, there's a, that says so much about so many of our damn problems that it's without a hesitation knowing what you do with Lindsey Graham on a daily basis mm-hmm. to make other points that it's that easy for you to say this that is a pox no on hesitation house. no hesitation and it and here's why um I don't expect anything from Lindsey Graham I mean all I've seen Mike Pence do while wearing my uniform My uniform is not the Republican Party. My uniform isn't really even conservatism. I tend to be aligned with those things, well, the latter more than the former, frequently because of what my real uniform is. I'm on one team. I'm on Team Jesus. That's the team I'm on. Everything else is not a team to me. Conservatism isn't a team. GOP is not a team. I'm not even a registered Republican. Haven't been for years. There's lots of Republicans I haven't voted for. <gasps> so you voted for Democrats? No, I just, I haven't voted for a lot of people the last 15 years, guys. I've had a, I vote every election. I've had a lot of empty slots. And I, by the way, I'd love to get back to a place where, yes, I would say, yeah, I voted for Democrats a couple of times because you know how much better a world it would be if we could get to that point correct. where we had the it could actually leverage people. Yes. Yeah, I agree. Wholeheartedly. But uh, I'm on Team Jesus. That's the team I'm on. If your interests align with, with my team, then we are co-belligerents. But we're not really on the same team. I'm on Team Jesus. That's the team I'm on. That's my only team. That's it. Other than family, that's my which goes without saying, that's that's my only team. So... 
Unless people heard what you just said and think, well, that's kind of like co-belligerence. No, that's healthier. That's way more honest than what we do now. Yes. Daniel Horowitz and Steve Dace, they're co-belligerence. They do belong to different... He's not on Team Jesus, Daniel is. But look at what they bring together to the show. They wrote a book. The truth comes out because they're honest about that. Mm -hmm. Not this ridiculous Team GOP grift. I mean, we're about the closest co-belligerence we can be. He's a Jew's Jew. Of course. And, and I go to church and worship a Jew every Sunday. So, but there's still there, though, a veil between the two of us. You're correct You don't about lie that. to each other. Nope. You're, no. And so I, I, Mike Pence wears my jersey and betrays me on a constant level. Lindsey Graham is not wearing my jersey. Now, if, if your team is Team GOP, I mean... He's a betrayer too, but it's not as personal to me. I mean, even even my my even my cracks at Lindsey Graham are funny. They're tongue in cheek, or meant to be anyway. You determine whether you think they are or not. Whenever I dress Mike Pence, there's none of those. It's just an, there's no. just an, there's no underlying tongue in cheek. There's no attempt at humor. There's no attempt to make light of the situation, to make fun of it. There's just disdain. I cannot stand Mike Pence. Can't stand him. Can't stand him. Because to me, he is the symbol of, of, of the male, the biological male that has infested most of our pulpits and public offices while claiming to be on Team Jesus for the last generation full of personal piety and of no use to anybody in any kind of fight whatsoever all mike pence does is surrender that's all he's ever done that's all he does and it disgusts me Next up, an anonymous account, uh, CW3RD, says, Why does Todd insist on placing his family under the authority of papal heresy? It doesn't matter if his local leader doesn't adhere. He's cursing his family under the authority of Rome. Get out and get your mind right, son. Steve, love you, brother, and show him. Get your mind right, son. Son. What was this guy's name? Oh, he doesn't have one. Let it stand. Walk off. <laughs> next, I don't. Next question. I don't. Okay. Silent night. With a K. What is the risk we reward with a Speaker of the House, Donald Trump, with a well-negotiated contract? I think Trump would manage the House well. I don't think you get a well-negotiated contract. I think past history is indicative of future performance. I think that. In on the global stage, Trump was able to negotiate good deals because he knew he was against he was up against a lot of people who are materialists like he is and are um, egotists like he is. And so they may speak a different language. They may come from a different set of customs, but they have the same impulses ultimately. And there was deals to be done. There were no great. He could he couldn't get the Republicans to operate on his agenda, couldn't cut any kind of deals with Democrats, actually offered Democrats the biggest amnesty deal in history, and they wouldn't even take it. Because here, we're not dealing now, we're in full-out spiritual warfare. We're not, we're not dealing with people, we're not dealing with sheiks who cut checks to the Wahhabia schools so that they don't burn their cathedrals and whorehouses down, but really don't believe in the core tenets of Islam any more than you and I do. Here, we're dealing you know. with people who truly believe in their religion. 
I know it drove you nuts, and for all the right reasons, when he went to North Korea. Mm-hmm. But in some ways, on some level, you're dealing with a more honest, rational broker fair. when you're dealing with that guy I'm, than you are with the left over here. To some degree, that's fair. From from a from a art of the deal worldview, yes, that's this is true. My point. This yes, is my point. That that is very true. From a biblical worldview, you are not. Because from a biblical worldview, you see the conviction. It's, it's what I said to Rachel on the roundtable on Friday when she was here. Rachel Cauley does a great job from the Center for Renewing America. We, we, we mock these lefties for saying, I don't care that you murdered my friend. I don't think anybody should get criminal punishment in this racist country. But we, this is sincere. When they say this, it is a sincere expression. They have followed the hermeneutic of their religion all the way to the end. We used to do the same thing. We don't anymore. All right, we're going to stick around. Record overtime for Blaze TV subscribers at blazetv.com slash dace. For the rest of you, we will see you again tomorrow, noon to 2 Eastern, right after Glenn Beck. Thank you for tuning in here. Until then, John 317. This is Steve Dace. On the Blaze Radio Network.